there was, we're talking about 1 John today. There was a time I was at a church that I served, and I loved that church. One Wednesday night, the young men were to lead us in our worship. And uh, in that church, only the young men led. Uh, the young women did not. We've moved further on our, our road by now, but that's the way it was. And that they decided to lead worship in a very unique way. All they did was one after another read the entire book of 1 John. And it was not very long into the process when I turned to Cammy, leaned in and I said, if a man were to walk into our churches today and preach only the words of 1 John, he would be fired. He'd be fired for not being strong in the faith. He'd be strong, uh, fired for being too liberal. He'd be fired for not requiring enough of the people because John was talking about our story, a story that unites us, but he didn't discuss any rules. He didn't push a formal doctrine upon us. He didn't tell us how to organize the Christian faith, how to organize a worship service. Instead, it was all about reinforcing a story and then insisting that story is all we need to live out the Christian life. We need to set the scene. The rest of the apostles were dead, or they were scattered so far that they might as well have been dead to those Christians centered around Judah, Lebanon, uh, Eastern Turkey, Asia Minor at the time. The church still did not have the Bible. This is so very important, and it cannot be stressed enough. Some people say we are a New Testament church because the New Testament shows us how to be a church. People, the church gave us the New Testament, not vice versa. The church functioned and thrived for 300 years without the New Testament gathered and available. They survived and thrived because of a story, not because of a list of rules. They, the early church had the Old Testament bits and pieces. By the way, they didn't have it at home. They had it at the synagogue, or they had it in a rich person's house, and they'd go visit it, but they didn't have it on their own. And that Old Testament didn't look quite like our Old Testament. We'll talk about that in my class they had bits and pieces of letters to the different, from the different apostles. Gospels, they had bits and pieces of those. They were circulated, but not collected all in one group. Think about what that means. It means that Christianity in the first few centuries did not have the rule book mentality that you and I were told to have. It didn't have it because they didn't have the books. There was no rule book. They had a story. The great theologian Karl Barth was asked, and by the way, a fantastic theologian, what do you know? After all you've written all of your life, after all your teaching all your life, what do you know? And he thought for a moment and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That was it. Paul when to, whenever he was wrestling with the Corinthians that were trying to mess with rules, he said, I'm happy to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all I've got, the story. There is a problem in our culture, 
and that is the loss of the common story. The, even the oath of allegiance to become a new citizen in America has changed. I don't know how many of you are aware of this. You do not have, and the oath of allegiance until about six years ago said that you had to allegiance only to the United States and that if asked, you would bear arms to protect it. That has now been removed. There's another line in there about allegiance only to the United States that's been removed. The common story is changing. And perhaps many of you have seen the, the viral video that's been posted on Facebook and through Twitter and the like, uh, been shown on newscasts. Uh, people ask, what is July 4th and who, independence from whom and the vast number of people that didn't have a clue? They don't know. And several of you have also seen the news headline that hit the Washington Post this, year, this week that in many universities, most universities, you can be a history major and graduate without ever taking American history. Now, what does that do? It removes a common story. And if you don't have a common story, you fragment. Now, forgive me, young folk, but I have to go back to the old days. The days where you had one phone and it was tethered to the wall. And when the phone rang, if it was your girlfriend or your boyfriend, you were quite excited, but you also had an issue. You could not speak in private unless you had a long enough cord to go out around a door and sit in the hallway and shut the door. And of course, your dad at that time had to go to the bathroom 23 times. <laughs> had to walk the dog, had to think about wallpapering the, the hallway, anything to listen there. But that meant everybody, in, everybody knew where, what everybody was doing. You had a common story. Then the, the individual phones came, but something else more dangerous came as well. And that was something called a Sony Walkman. Now, it was a big box, and inside you had a reel-to-reel -reel tape called a cassette player. And you, what happened then was in, everybody in the car wasn't listening to the same thing. Now they were split up. Everybody in the car wasn't talking to everybody. Now some people weren't even hearing the discussion, the splitting off. Well, of course you know where we are now. Everybody, including me, has their music on the phones. They, have, they listen to their own thing. It used to be you had three channels if you had enough aluminum foil for the aerial. <laughs> I'm not explaining this at this point. And if you had a spare kid that could hold one of the aerials. <laughs> you didn't have a remote control because you had children. You said, change that. Uh, turn that off. Turn that down. You didn't need recorders. You had kids. So, but what happened was everybody saw, we're doing America here, everybody saw Milton Berle. Everybody saw Red Skelton. Everybody saw I Love Liz Lucy. That's what they talked about. Today, we are scattered with many, many channels Many, what has happened to us? We've lost our national story. We've lost our unity as families. We have been scattered and our stories are fragmented. And when we are fragmented, we are isolated. And when we are isolated, it is easier to pick us off. I love music. I love the various stories. I love the variety that we have today. I love the fact that we have more than one television in our family because my wife likes to watch figure skating. 
And she is happy as well because I can't watch figure skating without making comments. <laughs> but there is a cost to this. There's a time we are separated and our story is not the same. John, 1 John, says there is a story and it binds us and this is what we know. If you want to have a great study, go through 1 John and underline or circle every time he uses the word know. We know this. We know this. And it's always about the story. No story, I'm back to the notes, by the way. Now that this story was coming under attack in the time of John, but it wasn't in a way that you might think. We always think of defending the faith as they must have been telling stories that contradicted the birth of Christ or this, that, or the other about him, his resurrection, his death. But no, that wasn't what the, the other story was. They had a story called Gnosticism that said God is too holy and we are too evil and the world is too evil for us to ever be reconciled that closely. We have to have intermediaries between us. Well, the Bible says Jesus died and brought us together, but that was offensive to them. So they said that Jesus and the Christ were two different people. The man Jesus was born, and sometime during there, perhaps at the baptism, Christ came in him, did all the teaching and the miracles, and then when Jesus went to the cross, Christ left him, and it was Jesus who died. And the whole point was, God's too holy to die. God's too holy to sweat. God's too holy to cry. God's too holy, and it separated us. Think about this. This put separation between God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus and us. The very thing God sent Jesus to fix, they were splitting again, getting us separated from God. They're not alone. Muslims do this as well. They are grossly offended by the blasphemy, they call it, of saying that Jesus died on the cross. They revere Jesus, but not the same story we have. They have a different story. He didn't die on the cross. No, 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 no. By the way, their story is confused, but the whole point there is to separate us. There are other religions that try to separate us from our God. We are, remember what Paul says? We are ministers of reconciliation. Our story binds us. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But be aware, story is important. We are Listen to this, memorize this. We are the stories we tell each other. We are the stories we tell ourselves. That's who we are. So John writes, by this time he's an old man. Don't mean to give offense to anybody in the room who's over 90. But in the first century, when you were over 90, you were old. That was unusual. And we have stories of him being brought in on a litter. Um, is that what you call it here as well? You know what I mean, right? A handheld gurney, uh, wee trolley thing without wheels. How's that? Uh, but they bring him in. Um, you know, you could have spoken English, but no. Um, somebody asked me, they said, you're going down to the downtown to watch the fireworks. And I said, no, the last time Americans threw a fireworks show for us, we lost Baltimore. So um, no thanks, I'll, I'll move along. They'd bring him in. He was too tired and too old to preach, but they always wanted a message from, from the great brother John. And he would bring himself up on an elbow and look up over them, and he would always say the same thing. 
little children love one another. After some time, the people came to him. We know this because contemporaries wrote about it. They said, brother, we know that we hear this. This is what you always tell us. We believe you. We're going to do it as well. But could you tell us something new? And he reared up on his elbow and looked at the people and said, a new command I give you. Love one another. What is our story? That's our story. Here we see what God requires of us. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, that which we've heard, that which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship was with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Well, the Gnostics believed that what we did now was not important because we knew the facts of God. They said, we know our story, so it doesn't really matter what happens to our bodies. Let me explain why we need to understand that that's wrong. You might say, well, of course we know it, but I don't think we do. There are so many Christians I know of that say, you know, uh, the only difference between a sinner and me is that I'm saved. God did not save you so that you would remain unchanged. He intends for the story to change your behavior. We're not supposed to act like people who don't have that story. Gnostics believe that what you did in your body was not important, but John says there is no room for darkness in us because our story is supposed to change us. Look at verses 5 through 7 of chapter 1. This is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. My story changed when I married Kami. I had been on my own for six years. Uh, very much different. Marrying her meant I no longer ate over the sink. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It changed somewhat. And when I ate, I had to eat on proper plates. Now, not the real good ones. We're saving those for somebody. <laughs> Perhaps the queen. Um, you know... I would submit to you, after taking a look at the presidential candidates, you might invite her back. Uh, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Let's just let bygones be bygones and move along, shall we? No harm done. Um, but those plates are there, but now I eat on proper plates and I have napkins, not paper towels or sleeves. Uh, there, I have procedures for things. I sleep in a bed that has a dust ruffle. Um, not sure why, but if our dust needs ruffled, we are equipped. <laughs> my story changed when I married Cammy, and my life changed. And Jesus, John here tells us, if you believe the Jesus story, change your life. 
Get the darkness out of your life. Our behavior matters. Take a look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. That's what we know. We don't sin anymore. But when we do, we have an advocate. That's our story. I've told these stories before, and I believe that I've told them from the pulpit here, so I need to do this very quickly. First came to America, came to a church where they were crazy about golf. Now, came from Scotland, so you might think I was fitting right in. I thought golf was a silly game. I didn't play it. I walked all over St. Andrews and the like, I didn't care. I was just, you know, why would you pay all that money and do all that effort, get the ball in the hole, then you just pick it right back up? It seemed to be a waste of time. These people held their elders' meetings on a golf course. And so they told me, I played a you know, couple par threes with them and didn't kill too many people. And so they, told, they said, we're having a big scramble on Sunday. And I didn't know what that meant. And they finally told me it's where everybody gets together and plays, whatever. And I said, fair enough. But then a, a person died. And I thought, yes, uh, because I had, a, I had a funeral that day. And so I was, I was out but made a tactical error of driving back by the church, by the golf course rather, see how things were going, and they were all waiting on me. I walked up, I'm in a suit. I'm saying, what, what are you doing? And they said, we're waiting for you to tee off. That's what the preacher does here. And I went through all the reasons why that couldn't exist, and they handed me some women's clubs because they said, you're a wee man, that's real more to you. <laughs> and so I stood there, and they're all hooting and hollering, making comments. And I hit the ball, and it kind of went where I wanted it to go. And later, some people asked me, they said, how did you have the presence of mind to keep that concentration? And the answer was very simple and very true. When I looked down at the ball, I actually said to myself, no matter where you go, or even if you go, Jesus loves me. <laughs> That's all I got. Uh, I, I, there are times I get hate mail. And I, I think, you know, you might be right, you might be wrong, but Jesus loves me. We have to remember the story. This surgery was part of a repair process. In 1990, I was diagnosed with some tumors in here. Now, they were not cancerous when we went in. They found out they weren't. But we were on that little tender hook for a while. And so they wheeled me in on the gurney. You know, gurney, is that what you call it, right? Okay. Uh, I don't know, you know, rolling trolley of doom, whatever you want to call it. Rolled me in, and so they're getting ready for the surgery, and the nurse comes in, and she's taking my blood pressure, and she frowns. So she takes it again, and she frowns. Starts to take it again. I knew what was going on, because we have genetically very low blood pressure. In my family, we're barely able to fog a mirror. <laughs> just, you know, an explosion goes off beside us. We don't even blink. It's kind of like, um, we're cool. So she, I said, is there, I just smiled and said, is there a problem? And she goes, do you know why your blood pressure would be is like 95 over 68? I said, yeah, I'm all worked up right now. <laughs> and, and she looked at me and she said, how, how can you be making jokes at a time like this? And I said, when I was a wee boy, I and my two sisters, my dad would come in at night 
to tell us scary stories. Now he would, big old hairy arm, reach through and turn off the light. We'd all jump in one bed. And he'd come in with a flashlight under his chin because that transforms you. Nobody can recognize you that way. And he'd go, ooh, and we go, oh, no. And, uh, and he'd say, once upon a time, there was this wee boy and two wee girls. We're looking at each other going, that could be us. <laughs> and he would tell us scary stories. Now, these weren't stories out of a book. These are much scarier than this. Your goosebumps would jump and run around the room and come back on in random patterns. It was just terrifying stuff. But we knew, no matter how scary the stories got, that we would win at the end because we remembered who was telling the story. I told the nurse, I don't know how this story will go, but I do know how it ends because I know who's telling the story. My father is telling the story. I win. A year later, they had to go back in and do some more work. Nurse, same nurse came in, didn't recognize me until she took my blood pressure. And then she frowned. She looked at me and she goes, it's you. <laughs> Your story is to change everything. What kind of behavior is God looking for? Is he looking for five acts of worship? Is he, is he looking for five steps to salvation? Is he looking for a set liturgy or a set form? Is he looking for self-denial? So that you don't dance, don't play cards, don't do anything uh, remotely fun. No, look what John says he's looking for. It's a long passage. But look what he says, but very important. I want you to be thinking, what is he saying, but what is he not saying? We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Oh, people have loved that one. But hang on, he's going to define it. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. The story is to change you. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Here we go. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Take the Jesus story and live that story. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Common story. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. What is the command of Jesus Christ then? Love one another. That's the law, that's the command. And there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness, they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Eli Wiesel died yesterday. Survivor of the Holocaust, writer of the book Night. If you've not read it, where have you been? Read the book one of the most eloquent spokesmen for the dignity of human life. I'll never forget, he came to Rochester Church where we served for 10 years and spoke one night. We evidently had received some threats from the larger community because remember, in our area was, is the greatest concentration of Muslims. And this is early on in the war. 
He came to speak. The place was packed. At that time, he was already in his late 70s. He was very tired. At the end of it, they said, everybody stay in your seats. We're going to remove Dr. Wiesel, and he's not going to be meeting with people. He's, we're taking him to rest. He cannot take the meeting with people. But my son and another young Marine had come, and they'd been given special dispensation to come wearing camel. If you ever see a guy in camel in an airport, it's not a Marine. They're not allowed to do that. Uh, they have to wear their proper uniform or nothing. Uh, nothing no uniform at all, just civilian. Because camel is war outfit. But they were allowed to, get to wear camel. And my son and his friend came to provide security for that night. As Dr. Wiesel was being taken out the back door, he stopped, turned to his handlers, and he said, bring those young men to me. And they, really? And they brought them. And he, I stood there as he shook their hands, and he said, thank you. It was young men like you that saved my life. My son had never heard of Dr. Wiesel before, but guess what? They came into a common story. Now, this is where I'm going to lose some of you. I don't know what Eli Wiesel believed about Jesus and about God, but I respect him, I will not speak against him, and I will call him brother because I don't have the right to say anybody's outside. I'm called to love all. That story puts limits on how many people I'm allowed to criticize or question. The commandments are love one another, be about the work of Jesus. And if you don't watch out, we lose that story. I talked to a man who wrote a book, one of our Church of Christ folks, who wrote a book and quoted 2 John, we'll get to that next week, saying where 2 John says, do not fellowship those who go outside the doctrine of Christ. I said, what is the doctrine of Christ? And he said, everything in the Bible. And I said, so when Og King Abation has a bed that's this long, that's part of the gospel of Christ? And he said, yes. No, it isn't. The gospel of Christ is Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now go live like that. That's the gospel of Christ. The command to love each other is old because it's been given to us long ago, love one another. But it's also new because every single day I have to remember that, don't you? Some of you, your first, your first instinct is to love people. That's not my first instinct. I have to, as Paul said, beat my body daily to do what I'm told to do. Make sure you love the right thing. In chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. He doesn't mean don't love bunnies and don't love flowers. The word world there means the world system. Don't fall in love with the world system. If you have a gift for making money, fine, but don't fall in love with that. If you have the gift for selling, great. Don't fall in love with that. If you enjoy politics, okay, but don't fall in love with that. Don't learn to love what the world loves and don't love the way the world does things. We have a different story that unites us. Story based on Christ's life. But John warns his little children of a line that must never be crossed. We gotta keep this story. Take a look at what he says in chapter two, verse 22 and 23. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. 
Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. By the way, I find that fascinating. He said, whoever has the Son has the Father also. If you acknowledge the Son, you have the Son. He didn't go on to say, but you have to keep all these rules, worship in this way, and act like this. It's just like, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? The deity of Jesus Christ is not negotiable. He is the Son of God. And we have to live like that, and we have to die for that. We don't study fake things. We're like treasury agents. I think most of you know this. Treasury agents are involved with finding counterfeit money. And they don't find counterfeit money by studying counterfeit money. They never study counterfeit. They study the real money to the point when, they, when false money hits their hands, they know it immediately. You don't have to know all the ways to go wrong in this world. You just have to know Jesus and our story. Focus on him. And here's where we must once again remind us, don't get comfortable with sin. Chapter 3, verse 7 through 10. Little children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is sinful. We're saved by grace, but behave. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who's born of God will continue in sin because God's seed remains in them. They can't go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. That's pretty strict, is it not? Live this story. But I want you to look and see how he describes the person who's in Christ. And I've gone on so long here, I need to really wrap this up. So let's take a look at 1 John 3. We'll do this passage. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. That's, act like it. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And that's how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. By the way, he's going to talk about possessions and such and sharing that. Let me explain something. Jesus Christ laid down his life at the cross. We all get that. But do you understand he had laid down his life before that? By merely showing up and serving and loving and healing and all the other. You and I are called to lay down our lives every single day. And so we'll talk about sharing our goods, sharing our time. There's an, there's an opposite to this. In the book of Revelation, Satan is described, chapter 12, as the one who, who slanders the people of God. Don't join Satan's team and slander other people. Oh, it is so hard. I get asked by members here who are good people, and I love them, to say something about Mr. Trump or say something about Miss Clinton uh, or to say something even about the libertarian candidate, uh, Gary Johnson. Friends, I got problems with all of them. I'm not going to say anything about any of them because they're not my story. Jesus is my story. Now, you can vote for any of them you want to or you can say, I'm not voting for any of them. But if you vote for them, understand something. 
you're not voting for a king or a savior. We have a king and a savior. We're not going to get one from Washington. So don't put your hopes there. Focus on the story. I'm, I'm going to skip now, if I could, please, to 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And I apologize for preaching too long. Um, I just know once I sit down, I'm not getting up for a while. <laughs> Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The story is so important. If you believe it, you're in. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. By the way, he keeps telling what the commands are. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. God loves you in chapter 3. He's proud of you. So love one another and love in the name of Jesus. When the world beats you down, overcome it by love. What will the world do to you? Who cares? You win because you know who's telling the story. I'd ask for you to please stand and, and Mark, bring your team on up. If we could put up, please, 1 John chapter 4. 4. <laughs> I'm getting a bit too Scottish. By the way, I'm having a, a Scottish friend of mine coming to, to visit um, fairly soon. I hope he gets to be here on a Sunday. Dear friends, this is our admonition. Let us love one another. For love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Amen, church?